This is TechWave, a Gartner IT podcast. Previously, talking technology. My name's Whit Andrews. This is Gartner TechWave, and I'm here today with two authors from our Maverick series of research, as well as one of the leaders of the program. Um, the Maverick research that Gartner does is extraordinary because it's not consensus-driven. That makes it sometimes hard to believe. That's okay. Uh, I have my Mavometer, and uh, I'm going to see how many maybes I can add to the zero that I'm starting with. Five maybes equals a yes, but maybe I won't get there, and that's okay because this research is is actually uh, not something that everybody at Gartner has to agree with, and you don't have to agree with it either. But why don't you work with me and see how many maybes you can add to your Mavometer? Hello, I'm Whit Andrews. Today we're going to talk about a, a, a new Maverick document, uh, which has been produced by my uh, my colleagues Annette and Sylvain. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, go into a little more detail in a moment. But the idea behind the Maverick maybe is that I start out as the perfect skeptic, um, and on the Mavometer, which is our score uh, for credibility with me, um, I start at zero maybes. If we can get get me up to five maybes, that's the same as a yes. So with that, I'm going to begin by uh, asking first that uh, one of the leaders of the Maverick program, uh, Frank Boytendijk, come and tell us a little bit about what the Maverick program is. Uh, Frank, could you describe the Maverick program, the idea behind it? Yeah, thank you, Witt, for the introduction. So Maverick is the Gardner incubator, you could say, for unconventional research. And in that sense, it's unconstrained by the Gardner research methodology that's very consensus-based, so you can go against the grain. You can take a minority position, and then you can argue why common wisdom is wrong. You can introduce a new topic. That's something um, like you as a listener you're not asking about yet, but you should. And you can explore longer time horizons. If you want to explore what's going to happen in 2040 or something, then Maverick is the place where, where to do that. That's, that introduces the Maverick program. That makes a lot of sense. And and I've been a mentor for uh, for some Maverick authors, and, and I often tell them, listen, um, this is not Maverick-y enough because I think you're right, right? So I tell them, I, 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 until I think you're wrong, it's not really Maverick enough. So um, uh, if I could ask you to introduce yourself first, uh, Annette, and then Sylvain. Okay. Uh, hello, Wit, and hello, everyone. This is uh, Annette Jump. I'm part of Gartner Emerging Technologies and Trends team, and BMI is uh, one of the areas of smart variables that I'm looking. Excellent. BMI is something I'm going to come back and ask you to define in just a second. Uh, Sylvain, uh, go ahead. Thanks, Wit. Uh, Sylvain, I cover actually mobile infrastructure and mobility, and um, this research, you know, came into actually trying to connect. Uh, my love of wireless and mobile with actually some of my earlier training, which was biomedical engineering. So trying to figure out what happens when you connect people and, and their brains and, you know, what could be some of the uh, possibilities and things to look out for. So that's where I'm coming from here. Oh, my goodness. Okay. When I connect people uh, and and a brain um, and biomedical aspects, I'm, I'm starting out right there at zero, uh, uh, zero maybes on my Mavometer. But you said something that I think that we should define as a concept. Annette, um, what, you, you said something about BMI. Before we talk about the concept behind this Maverick, what, what is BMI? So BMI, I would say, is another way of kind of interacting with devices, IoT, or even information around us. Um, the traditionally kind of BMI allows users to control, it could be light, music, settings, 
kind of add text to the documents through thoughts or via EEG. The BMI could also, it could be invasive um, where it's invaded into your brains or it could be non-invasive. Um, it's potentially like a handband, another like a Fitbit for your head. Um, and um, normally at the moment, most of the BMIs allows you to control things. But in future, we will have bidirectional BMI, which will enable two-way direct communications between the human brain and machine or computer interface. Okay, invasive is a is a is a is a hacker hacker powerful word. Um, I wear a, a fitness uh, bracelet right now, which non invasively tells me to get up and walk around the room or drink a glass of water. Um, I, I, I've wondered if I should get um, some kind of a bracelet that would remind me when I should drink more coffee. Um, but the you know it's, it's so, so I get where you're coming from on that. Um, all right, so tell us the premise uh, of the of the the project. What is the premise that you that, that you that you're trying to convince me of? In our maverick, I would say probably the idea was that we were talking more about bidirectional BMIs and about mm-hmm. turning human brains into IoT devices and uh, potentially what it could mean in terms of the end of security and privacy as we know it. And I think one of the other areas to that is obviously the impact on the workplace, the potential adoption um, in terms of influencing employees, but also kind of increasing their human capabilities. Because one of the SPAs we pulled together was that by 2030, 5% of employees in North America will use some form of bidirectional BMI in the digital work. Now that you said your premise aloud, you've reminded me that uh, we already have uh, fitness bracelets um, and that uh, you're very meaningfully predicting that this is going to mean more in the workplace. I'm up to one maybe on my Maverick O-meter. Um, but let me let me ask you something. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm never quite sure whether to see something that's technologically advanced as being more or less likely when I also see it on uh, HBO. Right. So um, is this related to um, I'm sure that it predates um, the launch of, but is this the kind of concept that we are, we're seeing in the TV show Made for Love? Um, in a way, but I think it's probably even more futuristic and more invasive because obviously in Made for Love, obviously it's quite a scary concept from the point of view that your axis monitoring not only your digital footprint, but also your mental and emotional state via the um, chip that he implants. Um, at the moment, I don't think we're there yet because we're not really talking about um, invasive BMI yet. Um, and I think where we are at the moment is with Elon Musk and Neuralink, they are testing invasive BMI on pigs. Um, so it's probably taken another 10, 15 years to get there. And what's the so the so the so the premise of your Maverick is that uh, invasive BMI will be relevant in a, a large uh, swath of aspects of of our lives. Tell me a little bit, um, uh, either Annette or Sylvain, give me a sense of 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 what's good and what's bad about that. Obviously, in the early research, we tried to really raise the flag as well. This is happening. I think the idea of the HBO. Uh, series like you know there's a chip implanted in that person and that's something we say is obviously you know will be used for possibly 
you know, high-end uh, medical treatment, say epilepsy, uh, which is done now Parkinson's, or maybe you know your uh, very high-end military black ops, or it's not for the masses. And you know, you and I would look at this and think, "Gee, I'm not getting a chip in my brain." So I think what the premise of what we say is that um, you don't have to get a chip in your brain for this to be number one useful, or even potentially also something to look out for. So. Uh, you know, simple headbands uh, that go on your head and, and do some kind of basic EEG. So, you know, electroencephalogram, as we know, so the read part of, you know, your brain as a device. And potentially can also slightly alter currents. So like the right, you know, uh, make me more relaxed or help me sleep, uh, which are some, you know, there's commercial devices doing that now. That's what we're looking at. Once you make it cheap and non-invasive, um, you open the doors to much more adoption. Uh, so yes, you start opening up risk for the enterprise because guess what? You know, I have trade secrets in my head. I've got things that are confidential. How will my employer know who's actually accessing my stuff? What if I get hacked as a brain? What if my perception about my employer is altered and I become a bit disgruntled because somebody's planting that? So this is what we looked at. I think the second aspect which we're exploring in the most recent research is like, uh, in addition to those risks that need to be addressed and probably a lot of the best practices in IoT and mobility, kind of how you secure, bring your own device, you know, should be used. Uh, especially because the vendors, as we can see from investment, for example, some of the early investment did not, you know, they didn't look at security at all. They were just focused on making sexy, you know, uh, wearables, which is fine. But we say, hang on, what if you make them cheap enough and they're not complicated, but all the value, all the smarts come from some really advanced AI at the edge or in the cloud. And now you can derive very advanced insights uh, and potentially things about, you know, this person might develop Alzheimer's in a few years. Why don't we put them preventively on a on a medicine that can give them, you know, a few more years of, of quality life? Uh, what about a pilot, you know, who hasn't been sleeping and, you know, you had the plane crash a few years ago with the German pilot um, and maybe he's not a right state of mind. Could we pick up on that? So the idea of what is done now for, from things like... Um, like First Beat, who powers, for example, Garmin, that looks at sports team and looks at workloads and which players may be fatigued and shouldn't be training today because they're just not up for it or they run twice as much as the other guy is, despite doing the same number of games, right? So what if you could apply that real-time visibility to people's brain when they are in dangerous jobs? So the premise of the new research is like, we could actually eradicate or at least drastically reduce workplace accidents so addressing probably a third of, you know, the dirty dozens, uh, you know, like fatigue or distraction, uh, you know, things that we know contribute to disaster, for example. Uh, what if we could look at, you know, early indicators of health or ill health? I'm going to jump in because it's, it's, it's interesting what you're saying. I mean, you're, you're getting me farther up on the Mavometer. There was one thing that you said that I want to make sure that we touch on, which was, uh, so, so, you know, you've, you've given good reasons that I'd want one of these or that my, uh, then authority whose opinion matters to me would want me to get one of these, um, want me to stay alive longer, want me to stay healthier, uh, more important, want the business to be successful. Um, so uh, you've also identified the fact that that as this becomes cheaper, um, uh, it sounds like it's priceless today, right? I, it, no amount of money could get me one of these things today unless I was willing to take uh, risks that were well beyond 
um, kind of, uh, you know, kind of a, an ordinary person's or, or even more even than a reasonable person's risks would, would be. But tell me a little bit about why you think it's going to cost less. So five years from now, 10 years from now, why is this going to cost less than it does today? It, it can't just be because the chips will be easier to manufacture. There must be something else too. Yeah, well, actually, I think these things are affordable now. Um, they may not be as capable in terms of writing to your brain, but you can get things that help you meditate, you know, or, or relax a little bit or sleep better. Uh, th these are in kind of sort of you know, uh, early, early uh, commercial stages or, or you can get. So think again of your Fitbit, you know, basic, basic application of that. What we're saying is that I think, again, you, you hear Tesla talking about implanting chips in the brain to have really fine control. And we think this is, uh, very advanced and very invasive, but you don't have to get to that level of invasiveness for this, you know, approach of uh, of BMI to be useful. In fact, once you can connect your brain and you can connect to the internet, you can enable what we call the, the internet of brains, which is again my, you know, to your example, uh, you bought your early computer in the eighties that would that was standalone. Maybe you bought a modem, then you connected it, and now it's connected to you know, the early internet. So once you connect your brain, then again, all kinds of good stuff could happen, you know, team learning, uh, you know, enabling sort of a better security, uh, you know, you could think military applications. So these these things are actually feasible as long as you've got a strong backend AI and, you know, a fast uh, communications network that enables very quick responsiveness with a few millisecond latency. So, you know, my, my mate sees you know, a danger. And I see that as well before you can even talk to me. And so that could be very valuable in a lot of dangerous professions or people who basically have the life of others in their hands. Uh, and we think, again, you know, making those chips, uh, cheap head interfaces, you know, it could just be a headband with a few electrodes. I mean, it, it's what it is. So it could cost a few, you know, $50, but then the back end of that would be a very smart AI. And in fact, the secret source of vendors uh, would be in having a very clever AI on the back end. And again, coming from mobile networks, I know there's, you know, in the old days, you used to put probes and all kinds of things to measure how the network is doing and, and monitor how well it's performing. These days, you can just, you know, look at, at logs that are fairly simple, don't require a lot of install, but you can, with great AI, you can actually look and find a lot of insights, you know, needles in a haystack. Um, so, you know, low touch kind of physical implementation, but lots of value added on the back end and and that's where the future i think is you know as the vendors stop focusing on making really sexy expensive devices or putting a chip in people's brains because well that's not going to go mass market mm -hmm. hmm. okay so so now i'm in a in a place where uh i'm, I'm still hovering right in there around two maybe three maybes on the maverick ometer because one of the things i'm i'm, I'm hearing is that you're worried about a supervillain and I, I'm kind of worried about supervillains, but I spend more time worrying about massive retailers um, or advertising networks. And and so, Annette, I mean, you know, you've covered wearables for us for a long time. Um, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, isn't it more likely that there would be a comparatively secure, comparatively safe system? that would be created, managed, and maintained so that when I go for a run, my BMI tells me, you know, you're doing great. Uh, your heart rate is right where it ought to be. 
and you're doing so well, in fact, that I think you should run by that Jamba Juice and buy yourself a really Jumbo Jamba Juice. And by the way, you can get it for 50 cents off if you go right now. I mean, it, 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 you know, supervillains are interesting, but isn't, you know, one of the most significant risks here, kind of a change in our relationship to the commercial environment that makes it easier to deliver um, disruptive advertising and, and control us in, in ways that we're already being controlled just through a, a new interface. Does that make sense as a question, Annette? Yes, that certainly makes sense as a question. Um, and I think probably all of us realize that we are leaving more and more kind of digital footprints everywhere through obviously devices we use, through websites we access, through collecting biosensor information of our information via all the wearables and obviously the providers are very happy to use that information to know more about the customers develop future product but ultimately sell you upgrades and potentially influence you in your purchasing and i think that's potentially fits very well with gartner's uh, one of the top trends internet of behaviors kind of creating a digital twin of a person, combining that with the digital footprints and uh, trying to influence behavior of a particular person or a group of people, say, in, even in the current kind of COVID situation in terms of what do you do, keeping the distance. Um, so I would say it's certainly a concern. And I think that's where um, the privacy and kind of... Um, ability for a user to control what data is available and who is having access to the data will become much more critical with those devices, especially as we move from devices being just one versus invasive ones, because the one one you can take off after an hour, two hours, and then the provider would not get the data about you for all the time if it's invasive, mm -hmm. the potential is huge. Yeah. I think to me, it, it pays. So there's two things here. Number one, I mean, there are uh, applications, I think in academia at the moment, where you can actually try to decipher people's thoughts, right? So you kind of train the AI by watching, uh, having people look at different pictures or, you know, hearing words and, and you kind of decode and you start assembling uh, kind of, you know, footprints of what it looks like in the brain. There's a company called Arctop. Uh, what they do actually, they have a device, um, which again is relatively simple, but then you know, fairly involved decoding technology for figuring out what people are thinking. So they would use that, you know, put it on like on a panel or, you know, of, of, of uh, volunteers and, and they would watch ads or movies and, and you just then feed back to the, you know, studios or, or, or the advertising company or, or the brand, you know, this is how people react to that one, you know, that ending versus that one. And you can think, so to your point with, obviously, if I'm wearing my BMI and I'm connected, and this task is visible, there's a clear question of well, a lot of people will be interested. So there's an opt-in, opt-out kind of question. There's also, uh, you know, shopping. You know, Amazon can guess what I want in three months just by my past activities. Imagine now if they have a real-time view of what I'm feeling. Maybe, you know, to your point about running, I, I really feel that I want to run a marathon and I haven't told anybody, but they can pick on that and start selling me shoes, um, which I think is also the thing that adds value to the, the disaster. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, if I start thinking about running, they're going to come to me and they're going to say, hey, we see you're thinking about running. Why don't you buy this big bottle of ibuprofen? That's it. <laughs> That's it.
Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, to, to a point, that's where also the value of the, the disaster prevention I was talking about earlier, I think today, you know, how do companies try to figure out risk? You know, they're like, okay, this guy had too many shifts in a row, or he hasn't been on holiday for a while, or, you know, he's been on sh on shift today for 12 hours versus 10 usually. So they start building these uh, backwards looking indicators, which obviously is a good start. And to build a metric of risk, that's how the, you know, the UK does it with health and safety. What if you could, in addition to that, look at in real time, by the way, that guy has only been five hours on shift, but I can see he's fried. I don't know why, maybe at home he had problems or his dog is ill, so he's very worried. This person is not, you know, on 100% right now on all four cylinders, we should probably replace them with somebody else, you know, because they're, they're driving a bus or something like that. So I think that's, again, you know, to your point, it's not super villain. It's it's just kind of people are now seeing my thoughts is, is what we're talking about. And that's connected. So we really need to be sure who's got access, who can read this, but also who can write, right? Just like now, if your pacemaker needs adjustments, your doctor has been authorized by you formally that they can do that with certain parameters. Uh, same with your brain, you know, maybe I'm uh, having a non-chemical option for my depression, for example, and and that's by adjusting my my my, you know, these currents in and out of my brain that adjust my serotonin levels. Great. Now, you know, I don't want everybody to have access to that. Um, so you you start looking into this concept of the concierge. I think we, we talked about, which is, you know, it's going to be maybe these these data brokers, people who would be trusted to actually get my data, and there'll be a clear set of policies, you know, and and opt-in for, yeah, Amazon can see what I feel about running, but I don't want them to know about my whatever, you know, moods. Uh, and it gets complicated, but you're going to have to have those filters to make sure, you know, you don't get into um, uh, privacy or um, even, you know, personal risk issue. It's interesting. So I, it's it's easy for me to worry about. I mean, I, what I worry about the most, I think, is the write factor, right? It's it's less about the read factor. Um, I I almost wonder, would I even care if people wanted to aggregate my thoughts? I mean, the you know, chances are, if it was, uh, you know, the the architecture uh, for thought storage would be uh, so grievously mixed up that I honestly wonder if anybody could even go in and find my thoughts, and even if they could, whether they'd want to. But I can easily see that um, at scale. Um, you know, you could absolutely see, you know, a, a kind of an extension of existing uh, advertising, couponing, uh, discounting, recommendation systems. You know, I, I and because I, I see that as an as a as an easy outgrowth of our increasing, not necessarily dependency, but our increasing um, employment of robots in a can. And I can't say any of the names of robots in a can, not because I'm, I'm not allowed to say them on the podcast, but because if I did, um, they would all wake up in this room and it'd be like the end of the movie Sleuth. You know, there'd just be this this overwhelming cacophony of robots in a can waking up and talking to me. And, and so, yeah, if I put those robots in a can in my head, then there'd be tremendous business opportunities and it would be um, only a matter of time uh, before we even got to a situation where I mean, let's face it. Um, so quick question, Annette, uh, Sylvain. Uh, uh, first, I'll ask you, Annette. Annette, how many robots in a can do you have in your house? You know what I mean? The, the things from Amazon, yes. the things yeah. from... Two. How many do you have in your house? Two. Two. All right. Is that two individual instantiations or is that two brands? No, actually, I just have one brand. Um, I thought it was... One yeah. brand. 
two robots. Yeah, two robots. Okay. How about you? How about you, Sylvain? I don't have any. I mean, apart from the serial, you know, everybody's devices. I'm actually consciously avoiding these because they're listening all the time, and and you don't know what they're up to. <laughs> I don't trust it. All right. So. So Annette's got three. Now, just so you guys know, I live in a house with four floors, if you include my basement. There are no robots and I can in my basement, but I often lament that because I speak out to one and there's none down there. I would say I have seven robots in a can. Maybe it's, it may, I may be up to nine uh, at this point. And um, there are one, two brands of robots in a can. Uh, and then I have one of those brands also on my phone. So let me ask you this. So, so you know, uh, you mentioned Annette that you have two, but only one brand. Lots of people have more than one brand. What happens when I get this BMI? Uh, but I realize that there's feature functionality that I can't get access to with the BMI that I got. So I get two BMIs, um, or I get three BMIs. I get one from uh, Tesla. Okay, fine. They're now in this market. I get one from Amazon because they're in every market. I get one from my, my government because it's mandated, right? I live somewhere where I, in an authoritarian state. What about the conflicts between these things? Tell me about that, and uh, and then and then I think we can wrap up on that cheerful note. That's actually quite a mixture you brought up. I don't think we went as far as imagining <laughs> multiple one embedded in your head. Potentially, you can have one embedded and one you put on temporary. Um, yeah, it's certainly quite complicated because I think one of the aspects we thought about is upgradability of the BMI because obviously if it's like with your smartwatch, you or you upgrade it every couple of years. Um, with a, a headband, you probably would need to upgrade it again. You take it on and off the same two, two and a half years. And if it's implanted in your head, how do you do it? Do you want to have a brain surgery every two years? Probably not. And then another risk we were kind of thinking is the physical threat because from the L the EMP pulses both to the implants and BMI uh, what if the kind of um, there are those threats kind of originated by the hostile nations or natural cell activity and that permanently or temporary damage your device and what else it could do it could potentially kind of blow them up which is not something you want to happen. Mm. Solar flares. I don't want. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't like the idea of flares or blowing things up. Um, once we've got mm -hmm. things attached to my head. Okay. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap up on this thought. This is so. So what you all have done is you've you've laid out a a you've laid out some inevitabilities. So the the we have the Internet of Behaviors now. I know that's already here. I'm wearing a bracelet that'll tell me to get up and walk around, and every day I'm now exercising more. Um, because my uh, because that bracelet is has helped me get down to a pretty amazing heartbeats per minute uh, with its with its advice. So okay, that's easy for me to figure out. There's an internet of behaviors now. BMI will intensify that internet of behaviors because it's going to be even more closely linked to my person, um, and and that's okay. Wow. Now the next thing that I assume is anytime that something is provided to me. Um, no matter how much money it costs me these days, um, you know, I can subscribe to a newspaper, but I'm still going to have ads. And so I can go and get uh, my BMI in order to participate uh, in the Internet of Behaviors. But now there will be commercial 
uh, motivations that will affect the, how that BMI uh, interfaces with my, with my, with my personality, with my, with my system. And I'm, I believe that the mind and body are the same thing. So with my mind body axis, um, but not only that, you've also told me that there will be super villains and maybe kind of ordinary day-to-day villains who will possibly try to provide me with instructions that are more in their interest than in mine. And maybe that'll try to extract some of the data, whether they'll be extracting that data from me or from some uh, vast storage entity, which has all my information put together. Um, That's a pretty amazing uh, maverick notion. And I'm going to tell you, uh, there are a few thoughts that I've that I've had. I've had some skepticism, but you've definitely got me up to at least three maybes uh, and maybe four maybes. That's not a full yes, um, but it's certainly the better part of a yes. Uh, Annette, Sylvain, Frank, um, this has been absolutely invaluable. Thank you all so much for your time today. Thanks, Wade. It's a pleasure talking to you, Wade. Thank you so much. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.